Good morning. Wow, what a terrific group of people here. Not enough uh, chairs for them to all sit down. Uh, we've got them right up in the front row, a few here perhaps, and if you want to make your way up front, that would be good. Wonderful time of the year. I love this time of the year. You hear all kinds of Christmas carols in public places. God gets a lot of free publicity. You know, last Sunday night, uh, Suzanne and I and our sons and uh, daughters-in-law and a couple of grandkids went to uh, Sagerstrom and we heard a Christmas program there in the concert hall. And uh, uh, it was almost as good as Promised Land, but... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, we were sitting, uh, we were in the second row, uh, one, well, not second row, but the second tier, and uh, 150 voice, uh, men and women choir, uh, large uh, youth choir as well that sang with them, and uh, a brass section, and a, a conductor that gave off vibes that he certainly knew the Lord and so forth, and uh, they opened with the hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, like they did uh, uh, this morning. And uh, we all stood, and it was un unbelievable watching everybody in that hall just standing and singing to the top of their voices. And uh, as I tried to sing, I, I pretty much lost it during that time, just watching everybody praising the Lord. Uh, and then the concert went on for quite a long period of time, and then it ended, and there was this rousing standing ovation. Uh, but they had missed the greatest Christmas song of all time. And I said, they've, they've got to have an encore. And so everybody kept clapping and clapping and clapping, and uh, finally the conductor turned and uh, started uh, the encore. Any, any idea, anybody care to guess what I'm talking about? Hallelujah Chorus, Handel's Messiah. And we all stood uh, for that, and uh, I lost it again big time. And, and that's unusual for me. I, I'm not, not a crier. In fact, my range of emotions for a long time was about this wide. <laughs> And uh, some people wondered whether or not I even had a personality. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, it was a marvelous time of the year. You know, I, I, just another little incidental comment. I, I don't particularly enjoy sh Christmas shopping, but I do enjoy Christmas buying, interestingly. You know, if, if uh, Suzanne will give me a list that I need to go buy, purchase, and tells me the exact stores that I'm to find them, and maybe inside the store where it's located, uh, then I, I love to go out on what I would refer to as a hunting expedition and make seven or eight kills and come back and present them to Suzanne and do a little chest pounding at the time and all of that other stuff. But I, I also enjoy the commerce of this time of the year because people are buying gifts for those that they love. Uh, it incarnates the Christmas spirit, modeling in a human form exactly what Christ, what God did for us. You know, while, one other thing. We, uh, Suzanne and I also went down to Crystal Court and met the grandkids down there and uh, they got a chance to sit 
on Santa's lap, so to speak. Uh, some Christians wonder about Santa, you know, maybe a little skepticism, but I absolutely love him. You know, Kris Kringle is a mythological hero, not a villain, and uh, just spreading the goodwill. Uh, the main reason, of course, why I love Christmas, why you love Christmas, is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, one of my favorite Christmas verses is uh, located in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. <clears throat> and not couched in the nativity scene, of course, but it certainly reflects the nature of God in the spirit of Christmas. And the Apostle Paul says, thanks be to God for your indescribable gift. Now, Paul was an educated thinker. He was an exact theologian. But as he dips into the treasury of his mind, he couldn't come up with one single word to adequately modify God's gift of Christ during the Christmas season. He simply says, thank you, Lord, for your indescribable gift. Now, there's a lot of things in this I can't describe. And I can't describe how a guidance system works on a rocket. I can't disguise, I can't uh, describe even how an automatic transmission works in a car. Some of you can. Some of you can describe a guidance system on a rocket. Uh, but <clears throat> the real question this morning, what makes a gift indescribable to every human being? Certainly it's safe to assume that if uh, people create something, if a human being creates something, it can be described at least by a group of human beings. But uh, that which makes a gift indescribable to all human beings, is if it's something that's more than human. And I think that's what Paul had in mind when he considered God's gift of Christ. Let me share a few specifics with you. I won't be long today, and that's good news, particularly for you young people. But the first gift, or first, the gift of God is indescribable because of the nature of the gift. You know, how do you describe who Jesus is and what he has done? Isaiah calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Therefore, Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, then he's self-existent, having no origin and beyond human discovery. God is also self-sufficient. He doesn't have need of anything. So how do we adequately describe those attributes? Jesus claimed to be God, but at the same time, he talked to God and even praised to God the Father. He also speaks of the work and the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. When the Bible speaks, uh, it speaks of a triune God, uh, three individual persons, one God, but three actual persons. How do we comprehend the Trinity? One God, three people. It took the church more than 300 years to finally ratify a formula of one God existing in three co-equal persons. It was at the Council of Constantinople way back in, in 381 A.D. But that only really kept the church from making mistakes and erroneous statements about God. It didn't exhaust the meaning of the Trinity. As well. Uh, and Christmas is the incarnation where he became a man. 
And the great Puritan theologian John Owen put it best, in my opinion. He says, Jesus became what he was not, a man, but he did not be what he was, and that was God. How do you describe that to your six-year-old promised land student there on a pillow talk tonight? God and man. You know, it was another 70 years at the Council of Chalcedon that the church produced language that adequately described the Lord's dual nature. In other words, Jesus is a combination of undiminished deity and perfect humanity. So we have one God and three persons, and Jesus is one person with two natures. Now, after you describe who Jesus is, describe what he's done. And you say, well, that's pretty simple, Gary. Uh, Jesus Christ came to provide salvation to sinners by his sacrifice. And that's right. Uh, Jesus was born. He lived under the law. He perfectly kept the law. Then he went to the cross as that unblemished sacrifice. And there on the cross, there was a double transaction. God took all of the sin of humanity and piled it on to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died for that sin. But Jesus' death and dying for our sin is not enough to get a ticket to heaven. We need something else. And so God took the righteous life that Jesus lived, the perfect life, and he imputed that to us so that we are righteous in the eyes of God. In other words, he took the pain that we deserved on the cross and gave us the life that we don't deserve. It's all of grace. You know, but there are events connected with the story that we really can't fully grasp. For instance, when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one of those seven statements that are recorded in the Bible that Jesus said on the cross. You remember that the the first three hours of Jesus hanging on the cross were daylight. The second three hours, God just blanketed the earth in darkness. And it was that time he let out that guttural cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the penalty for, for sin is eternal death. Eternal death. You know, and yet Jesus paid that penalty. And, and so you scratch your head. Did Jesus suffer eternity in hell? I mean, you know, in a, does a, a, an eternal God, can he suffer eternity in hell in a space of three hours our time? I don't understand that. But whatever Jesus did suffer on the cross was infinitely worse than all eternity in hell for a human being because... He got, he got out of it. You know, it, it's amazing what happened. You know, and I also believe that when we feel forsaken, we're not. But when Jesus was forsaken by the Father, he really was. And yet you ask yourself the question, well, how can there be any kind of division in the Godhead? Uh, how, how can the Father and the Son be divided from one another? And uh, one of the great theologians that just passed away not too long ago, Roger Nicole, said this. He says, there can be no division in the Godhead at any time. Is he right? Maybe. Maybe I, I, I trust him. I think that he's right. But here's the point. Both the nature 
and the work that Jesus Christ did on our behalf to merit our salvation is beyond our full comprehension. Uh, let me give you a second thought. Uh, the gift is indescribable because of the grace in by which it was given. You know, most of us, and we're going to open up some gifts to you, but most of the gifts that uh, we give to other people, we give to them claim on us. Uh, we give to our family members. Uh, we give to people who gave to us last year. We give to individuals that helped us out in some way. Even when we don't know the people we're giving to, sometimes we give to charitable work, a good Samaritan's Purse or a World Vision or some organization that helps people that are less fortunate than we are. And uh, so we, we give to others just because of the solidarity of the human race. We have shame on him. In fact, we rebelled against him. And the Bible reminds us that while we were yet sinners, want me to hold that thing? Hello. All right. The Bible reminds us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for his enemies. He died for those who cursed him. And how do we describe that? How do we describe the death of Jesus for people who cursed him? You know, there was a, a man that used to be a slave trader. His name is John Newton. He was miraculously converted. And when he began to think of how do you describe God's grace, he couldn't come up with one word other than the word amazing. He says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And then the third reason why the gift is indescribable is because of the effect that it produces. You know, I think I shared with you last September that there are a number of different words that the Lord uses to describe the multifaceted salvation that we receive. Uh, for instance, justification is a word. And justification is where God removes our guilt and declares us righteous. Redemption is another word. And redemption is where God delivers us from bondage and gives us freedom. There's forgiveness, where God per pays our moral debt and then grants us a pardon. And then there's reconciliation where God removes the hostility between us and him so that we can be his friend. But the most intimate word is the word adoption, becoming a member of God's family. You see, it's one thing for God to declare us righteous, to purchase our freedom, to grant us pardon, to make us a friend. But it's another thing entirely for God to make us a member of his family, give us his name, and make us an heir of his entire wealth. You see what adoption does? It meets the two greatest needs that we have as human beings. The need to belong and the need to love. You know, when trials abound, it's great to have a dad. 
Uh, we have a lot of dads in this room. And certainly, uh, I being one of them, we're not a perfect group, uh, very imperfect. Uh, but we love our families. And let me ask you, dads, a very simple question. Uh, when you have a hurting son or daughter and they come into your presence, what do they really need to get your full attention? Maybe give you a notarized list of all the good things they've done this past month? You know, they don't need, you don't need that. All they need to do is be hurting. And you're right there because you love them. And dads, and I include myself in this, we can take our readiness for our own children and multiply it by a thousand times and it won't even begin to touch the readiness of our heavenly dad when we need help, when we have something that we're really worried about, when we're hurting in some way. That's the kind of dad we have. You know, some of you are old enough, I think, uh, to remember uh, a song that Simon and Garfunkel came out with in the late 60s, uh, after Sounds of Silence, it was I Am a Rock, I Am an Island. you remember that? And really, it's a song about uh, somebody who wants to opt out of relationships because of the pain that they bring. They said, you know, I don't need people anymore. I've got my, my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm going to go solo. Because rocks feel no pain and islands never cry. You know, I think all of us at times in the midst of pain of rejection at some time or other in our life have had that kind of resolve. You know, we, we can't escape, though, our need for intimacy. It doesn't work in the long run to try and get away from it all. But through the gift of Jesus, we move from being a stranger uh, to a son to a daughter. We're invited to the table we have access, we have acceptance, we have the warmth of family, and God is always giving to us cosmic hospitality. And then a fourth uh, effect is our future home in heaven. And uh, this is something that uh, allows us to live life with op optimism and hope even in the midst of our pain and sorrow because those who really don't have the Lord, don't have that privilege of doing that. And uh, that's why we, we share the Lord with other people. I'm reminded of a quotation, a haunting quotation. It's by a, a brilliant, the late brilliant French existentialist uh, Sartre, and he says this, I have no right to exist at all. I appeared by chance and exist like a stone, a plant, a microbe. Here I am eating and drinking to preserve my life as long as possible when there's absolutely no rational reason for my existence. See, Sartre was smart enough to know that if there is no God, there's no meaning in life. And he was honest enough to say it. You know, just before his crucifixion, Jesus got together with his disciples in the upper room. And he looked at them and he said, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And that kept them going for the rest of their ministry lives. Pretty amazing.
You know, the Scottish pastor, uh, Robert Murray McShane, he actually died in his 20s, but he wrote this poem. He says, when this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun? When we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. I don't think we're going to even fully know it then. I think to some degree, even in our perfection in heaven, we'll never totally understand God's indescribable gift to us here on earth. You know, uh, tomorrow or tonight or tomorrow morning, uh, all of you will probably uh, gather around as friends and family members and there at the tree and you're going to open up some gifts. And some of the gifts will be big and some of them will be small. Some of them will be created by the members of your family. But it's only natural when we get a gift and open it up uh, that uh, we smile and then we find the giver of that gift and say thank you. Thank you for that gift. You know, this uh, Christmas season, the greatest act of worship, without question, the greatest act of worship that we can give to our Lord is to simply, in the midst of all of this season, look up and say, thank you, God, for your indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this season. It just reminds us of the roots of our redemption, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he came, became a man, loved us to the point of being crucified, and uh, saved us from the wrath that uh, could come. And Lord, we operate in a great deal of freedom because the future is totally secure. And help us to love you for it and love people in our community for your sake. And might they see the Lord in us during this Christmas season. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.